the Japanese company may definitely appear to have a lower salary. However, you should dig a little deeper and find out what the benefits are because there have been companies that I've heard of that cover all health insurance coverage. And that can be a huge cost that you don't actually consider when you think about the salary plus benefits. Maybe if you see a number, don't get too discouraged if it seems drastically lower than a competitive company in the same area, but maybe dig deeper, try to find out what else is offered. Sometimes you can be very surprised what you find. Hello everyone and welcome to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Buri Bikuman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful, practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in-depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with their Japanese counterparts. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing another conversation that I got to have with the very first guest on this podcast, Kasha Lynch. Kasha is a trilingual American who spent eight years in Japan, including high school, college, graduate school, and later on in her professional career. She earned her bachelor's from Boston University and master's from Tokyo's Ochanomizu University. Kasha's career utilizing Japanese language and cultural skills began in 2003 with concert promotion and later moved to interpreting slash translating electronics and the automotive industry. She was able to do this while living in Japan, Poland, Italy, and the U.S. Since starting Ikigai Connections in 2018, Kasha has been featured in various Japan-related podcasts, including this one, websites, and webinars, including the U.S.-Japan Bridging Foundation, the U.S. JET Alumni Association, and BFF Tokyo. Her goal is for NihongoJobs.com to become the go-to board for all Japanese jobs in the U.S. Be sure to stick around to hear more about her inspiring story as we get into today's conversation. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure that most of my listeners are new to the podcast, so just wanted to let them know that this podcast in particular is very special to me because Kasha was actually the first person that I interviewed on my podcast. I wish that I could recommend you go back and listen to that one, but as I said, it's the first interview I ever conducted, so maybe just sit back and enjoy this one instead. But if you want to, I will link that up in the description of this episode as well, and apologies in advance for the quality there. But yeah, since it has been so long, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to my audience? Absolutely. So thank you again for having me on this podcast for the second time. This is so exciting. I'm really happy to see how your podcast has progressed. So I think it's uh, fantastic to see that. My name is Kasha Lynch, and I am the founder of Ikigai Connections. I'm based in Michigan, but I have been absolutely obsessed with Japan since the very early 90s. And I think I have used my Japanese language and cultural skills in literally everything I have done since then. So I'm excited to be here and share my story. Great. So if people want a little bit more of an in-depth look, they can definitely go back and listen. But would you mind just telling us a little bit more about your history with Japan? Absolutely. It was a new high school program for us here in Michigan. And I just took it because why not and didn't expect to enjoy it. I was an okay student, but then because I went to Japan for our, it was a high school exchange program for Michigan and Shiga, I just, I felt like my life completely changed while I was there as a 17-year-old in the middle of nowhere. Came back, decided to major in it at Boston University. I did 
um, I applied for the MEXT scholarship and I went back to Japan on that scholarship living in Tokyo. And it was just so wonderful for me that I decided to stay longer and work. I actually got a job in the music industry in Tokyo, which was such a fun time. It was great、uh, to see what that kind of lifestyle is like and to also expand my Japanese business language skills. Then I decided to、uh, explore some other countries and I did some Japanese jobs in Poland, Italy, and then back home in Michigan. After I worked in the automotive industry here for a while, I decided to start my own company. And my business baby is turning five this August, which is incredible. It's been a lot of work, and I'm very excited to、uh, just keep plugging away and, and helping connect people who know Japanese and English with a Japanese job in the United States. Yeah. And we were just talking before about how long we've kind of known each other since the beginning of the pandemic, pretty much. And it's been great for me to see how the company has grown and developed over the, just the past few years, really getting its footing and really starting to develop. So, yeah. Why did you decide to start your own company instead of maybe going in house somewhere as a kakehashi to connect different companies or working in a consulting firm? Why go out on your own? You know, that is a great question. <laughs> If I had known how much work goes into it, I don't think I would have started. But it was a very, very slow, organic process. I remember because when I was in Michigan, I would visit a lot of universities and people there would know of my, of my background. They'd ask me, Oh, Kasia san, how did you do this? And how did you do that? So my friend suggested, Well, you should start a blog. So I started a blog, and then that turned into a itty bitty tiny job board. And after a while, here you know, I'm now doing you know, podcasts and speaking to people. And during the pandemic, especially, was probably the major like kickstart to a lot of what I was doing because I started communicating with people via Zoom and Teams and just sharing my message that way. And before you know it, it was a lot of people coming from different states asking me for support. And that's Basically, the kikkake for how it like how I continue to focus on that. But I really created my job board because when I was looking for a job in the United States after being in Japan for a while, I kind of expected and wanted a job board to help out with this. Because when you go to like a, an Indeed or whatever, it's so hard to find a bilingual job there. And I remembered using jobsinjapan.com in Japan, I,、um, a little bit of Gaijin Pot. And those, I was like, man, if we had something like that here. And then I thought, well, why don't I just? Make one myself. And I've been kind of catering to that main service to help people out, kind of my younger me to help、uh, people who are looking for a job in that field. Yeah, that's so great. And it is very hard to try to look for anything on a general job board related to Japan. Because as soon as you mention bilingual or anything, you end up with a bunch of job listings that are in completely unrelated languages. So, yeah, having something specifically catered to Japanese is definitely very useful. So, would you mind just teaching us a little bit more about what is a kakehashi jinzai? Oh, I love the word kakehashi because it means bridge. And jinzai means like employee, manpower, human resources. And I have been speaking about people who are bilingual or know both cultures, the Japanese and the US cultures, for quite a while. And one of my friends was like, well, you should kind of maybe add a name to that so it's easier to. Keep referring to that. So I decided Kakehashi Jeans I might be a good way to do that.、It、seems self explanatory in Japanese, and I just have to explain it a little bit for people who don't know Japanese. But I focus on the US because I am now in the US and I don't 
know Japan as well as I used to and I live there. It's a whole different story. And also there's kind of a need here in the U.S., I think, because although we do have recruiters that support, there's not like a job board that you can go to like this, what I'm trying to do. So when I do support these jobs, I often talk about the native Japanese people and the non-native Japanese people. And they're both kind of considered as kakehashi jinzai because they can use their Japanese and English language and or cultural skills here in the US, U.S. to help these companies with so many things that they need language and cultural help with. But because I also am a huge fan of people who are non-native Japanese speakers who want to promote their skills, we aren't really, like you would look at us and you wouldn't know that we speak another language or that we know Japanese. So I'm also trying to focus on the people who, it's, it's like an untapped resource of Hey, we're local American, you know, college students who maybe gradu- uh, graduated and with a degree or some classes in Japanese. And when I try to promote people like us to companies, they're often very surprised and never assume that we would have any kind of business level Japanese language skills. They're always going to just native Japanese people, which is perfectly fine. And I love to support my my native Japanese friends, but I kind of want to push up the people who are, you know, support the people who don't look like we speak Japanese because it's such a rare talent and there's not enough people in the United States to go around with helping these companies that need bilingual or bicultural skills. Yeah. Why do you think this resource is so untapped? Because it's my impression that Japanese is a unique major, but it's not like a totally obscure major that nobody ever chooses at university. So I'm curious why People are under the impression that unless you're Japanese, you don't speak Japanese, whereas we have people who speak Mandarin, Spanish, you name it, people will speak it. What is it about Japanese that it just never crosses people's minds that there could be a bilingual American? That is a fantastic question, and I wish I could have an answer. My guess is that like when I speak with the employer side, and I speak with either the Japanese expat who is helping with the hiring, so they're from Japan. Or I'm speaking with a local HR person who is locally hired and is helping that Japanese subsidiary find others. In those two groups, the they just tend to assume that it needs to be somebody who is directly from Japan, but they struggle with like visas and you know it takes a long time to bring over an expat from Japan. And that's why I think during the pandemic, it was kind of our chance to shine and say, hey, I know that nobody's traveling right now. I know it's practically impossible to get a visa to send somebody from Japan to the United States. Hey, we have a lot of people here who are actually studying the language and they would love to have this opportunity to work at a company where they can use these skills. Now, I know that on the college side, yes, there are business Japanese language courses, but it's also not really heavily promoted among the Japanese language learners. And I'd love to hear your take on this too. I don't think it's heavily promoted to say, hey, your Japanese language and cultural skills can be used in a career. Here are some examples. I never heard that. I never thought I could use a job with Japanese language skills. And so when I do visit schools, I do share that opportunity or those ideas. But again, the company side, I feel as if I'm not sure why they think it just has to be a native Japanese person. And maybe we just don't promote ourselves enough, or maybe the message isn't shared enough. So that's kind of my personal ikigai, my little mission in life is to just keep sharing how regardless of what nationality you are, if you possess the skills to speak two or more languages, you really can be a huge help 
for any companies that need that kind of international global exposure, especially now in this day and age where literally everything is global. Any company wants to do business or have customers in other countries. So it just kind of makes sense that a Kakehashi employee, someone who has those the knowledge of both cultures would be like super important, but still kind of working to get that shared. Yeah, definitely. And my school was a little bit unique in that the primary Japanese teacher was a little bit more business minded. But when I was interviewing other people who, for example, started their careers in the 80s, a lot of them like studied Japanese because it was the business language to study back in the day during the roaring 80s in Japan. But since then, from what I've heard from other people, it sounds like when you study Japanese, you're kind of encouraged to pursue academia instead of business. And I'm not quite sure when that shift happened. Yeah, I have heard some of that too. I'm not sure when the shift would happen. And I would also add to that, that I think once manga and anime got really popular, I have heard from many Japanese like employer side people saying, oh, well, if Americans are studying Japanese, it's just for the manga and the anime. And a lot of times people did begin learning Japanese at their schools because of the manga and anime influence. So maybe that perception is, hey, if you know manga anime terminology, you can't understand the business Japanese. And yeah, maybe that was a way for people to kind of get involved in Japanese, but it doesn't mean that they would stick with just the manga and anime terminology. So Maybe there was something there too. It was just an idea I had as you were talking. No, definitely. I can see that. And even now, that is the, one of the first questions a lot of people will ask you like, oh, do you like anime and manga? And you have to try to say no without sounding very judgmental. <laughs> it's a little bit of a tricky thing to maneuver. So just my experience briefly trying to look for jobs after the JET program it seems like everybody pretty universally looks for quote-unquote native Japanese speakers, even for positions that do not necessarily, I would assume reading the description would not require native Japanese, even for positions that are asking for Japanese to English translators, for example, where that's generally not advisable to translate into your second language. There's just a big push for you can be business level English, but you have to be native level Japanese to even be considered for these roles, especially in Japanese companies. And why do you think that is still the case even now? Oh, this topic. <laughs> I love this topic. You know, I talk to a lot of people about this, employers and job seekers alike. And I just keep coming up with the impression, my impression is that when the job descriptions are created for positions that require some Japanese language, I feel as if the creator of that job description does not fully understand how, um, into, like how difficult Japanese can be and how many levels there are. And I often tell, especially the local American HR counterparts, I often tell them, hey, by the way, you know, when we study Japanese, for some strange reason in our brains, our we become very humble. And when someone asks us, hey, what's your level of Japanese? We're, we'll say, oh, we're still learning. Mada benkyo to this. I'm working on it. And so we kind of inadvertently make ourselves sound like we're less f fluent or proficient than we really are because of that humble aspect. So I often tell job seekers, when you interview with a local American HR person, 
don't downplay yourself in that way that you would if you were speaking to a Japanese hiring manager. Because if the Japanese hiring manager heard you say, oh, mada mada benkyo to this, I'm still learning, they might take that as a sign like, oh, wow, they really are pretty good. So back to my point about how the people who create the job descriptions don't realize how nuanced Nihongo is. And also, I feel as if that if they really dug deep into the job description responsibilities, and if they found out from that department manager of exactly what level the Japanese should be and how it depends on the speaking, listening, reading, writing portions. So if they're only having communication internally, that's one thing. If they're speaking externally with clients, then of course it should be a little bit more proficient in that regard. So I think that whole, the job description thing is a little bit, um, it's a little bit misconstrued. It should be more specific. So when I speak with my clients who purchase job ads, I'll get on a call with them and say, all right, let's talk specifically speaking and listening and who are they speaking with? And a lot of times the clients will be like, oh, you know, it actually doesn't have to be that native Japanese language level. It could be a local American, even like a college, a recent college grad who has the basic Japanese language component, maybe two years of Japanese language, the desire to learn business Japanese, and also the desire to learn that company's specific terminology while they're on the job. And so I feel like a lot of people who are language learners would just thrive to have that kind of opportunity to be like, all right, the first month new on this job, I'm just going to absorb all the words I hear, the company specific terminology, I'm going to write them down in my little notebook. I mean, so many people I speak with have these notebooks, their own little dictionaries that they just practice those words over and over. They just need that opportunity. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I feel about the whole like fluency thing. I feel as if there's so many people that don't feel they're fluent and they look at these job descriptions and they're like, oh, this one says advanced. Well, I kind of feel like I'm intermediate. So I guess I'll just pass on this one. So I'm often telling job seekers, be your own best advocate, dig deeper, ask questions, because you may actually know more about the language component than the hiring manager. So ask good questions and promote yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about making sure to cater your approach to the hiring manager you're dealing with, because if you do really want to be a kakehashi jinzai, that is going to be a core part of your job is to understand your audience and to understand the cultural nuances of the people that you're dealing with, where Americans, it's probably best to not be too humble. But in Japan, if you're humble, then that not only shows that you're somebody that they want to work with, but it shows that you understand Japanese culture to a much higher level than the average American would. So absolutely. And if you have that foundational cultural knowledge and a foundational language level, anybody can learn and improve and get better. And there's so many people I know who started out in a company and they just absorbed the company's ways and they became like an absolutely um, like kaketsuna jinzai, like completely necessary employee because they learned along the way and knew exactly what the company needed on both the linguistic and the cultural level. Yeah. So how does somebody go about building a career as a kakehashi jinzai, whether they plan to stay with the same company for long term or if they're thinking about kind of moving around in the industry, what does it take to be successful? Great question. There is no like path for this and maybe I'll have to come up with some kind of guidelines in the future. But, you know, one thing I do share is senpai success stories of people who have kind of done this their own way in their particular industry 
and in their particular role. So it's it's helpful to like to learn from other people who are maybe X number of years ahead ahead of you in your desired industry. Just kind of read about what they've done, check out their profiles on LinkedIn, um, see if they have any kind of you know guest presentations they've done for other podcasts or webinars or whatnot. That's a great way to kind of get inspired on what you can do. Personally, I feel that if you really want to be involved in both cultures, and let's say you pick your desired industry, you know, instead of focusing on your desired industry, let's just say you're in your local area. For you and I, we're both in Michigan. So we have the automotive industry that's fairly strong here. So if I wanted to one day help with, you know, connecting Japan and the U.S., maybe I can find a company that's close to where I am, whether it's a company that has headquarters in Japan or a company that works with Japanese companies, clients, uh, or even a company in Japan, I would go to them and start start from the, you know, the beginning. An easy way to do it is through becoming like an administrative assistant. That's a great way for you to get in, especially if you're just a recent college grad, or if you're back from the JET program or the MEX program, it's kind of a great way to just dabble your feet and also a great way for the company to kind of see what potential you have. And then if you're interested in that company itself, you can learn more about it. You can mention, and this is very important because a lot of people don't share with their direct supervisors that they know Japanese or love Japan or would love to go one day. I think mentioning that is a great next step to share. Hey, or you can even probably do it in like an interview session when you are applying for that admin role. Even if the first um, entry level position that you apply for doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Japan, I think because the company itself does, you could find a way to make yourself be very valuable within that company by offering things. Let's say you are an administrative assistant and you're in a department that you don't do anything Japan related, but next to you, you have a sales department that maybe every once in a while you hear something in Japanese. Maybe you can offer and say, hey, I know you're doing this in this department. If you ever need any help with, with Japanese, just let me know. Or if a business person, a business traveler comes from Japan, offer your services. Hey, let me show them around. Let me help them out with with whatever needs to be done. If there's expats in that company, hey, let me help these expats get accustomed to living in Michigan or whatever state you're in because I know what it's like to have studied abroad in Japan and it was hard for me. So I know the the kudo, the, the problems, the issues that somebody may have living in a new country. So making yourself very valuable, offering ideas. And if you see, if you notice that there is some kind of miscommunication and you're like, in your, in your mind, you're like itching to help out, offer and say, hey, I know that there's a miscommunication happening here in this situation. Let me at least observe and maybe try to help because that's the kind of spirit that a kakehashi jinzai has. You want to connect both sides in a very easy way. So that's like my first example. What are your thoughts or if you have any feedback to that? No, I think that's great. And I love that you provided very specific examples for people to watch out for. But just pedaling back a little bit, how do you get a position as an administrative assistant if you have zero experience as an administrative assistant? Because again, if you look at job board postings, they're very idealized. They ask for people who are masters of all of Word, all of the forms of Word that have ever existed in, in Microsoft. And it's like, uh, what if you're working with Macs? That sort of thing. So how do people kind of frame themselves to be able to even get those positions in the first place? I totally agree with you. Sometimes these admin assistant roles require you to already have great admin support you know, experience. 
a lot of times I would look at a job description and try to understand like what they, and they may also not know, because sometimes job descriptions are three pages long and it's just overwhelming. Some one human being could actually do all that. So try to promote yourself with the skills that you do fit. A lot of people who come or are straight from college or have been on the JET program, let's focus on the college student. In college, you're using your laptops, whether they're MacBooks or Microsoft. You're using things to create your presentation. So you're already tech savvy. That in itself is going to be superbly helpful. Everybody knows how to use email and communication. You do your homeworks. So that means you're, you know how, what deadlines are. You can be timely. So that's a lot of like soft skills mixed with hard skills that you can promote. If you're coming back from the JET program, you know, just by coordinate, whether you are an ALT or a CIR, you can focus on your skills of organization and creating lesson plans and, and ha- you know, corralling people in a, in a room and, and ha- keeping them focused and on attention and knowing how to read the room and help people out. I think a lot of those skills is what you can promote from your experience, whether you're a student or a new entry-level person. I think it would be uh, a great way to do it. And even if you see the job description is like, Let's say it is a must-have eight-plus years of admin experience. Well, maybe they are looking for somebody who's much more experienced. And maybe you take a chance and you write in their cover letter saying, hey, I saw this position at this company. I'm really interested in this role, um, especially because you have the Japan connection. And here's a couple of sentences about my Japan experience. Oh, and you mentioned that it must have you know eight plus years of experience, but I am a recent college grad. I'm very tech savvy. I'm very willing to learn. Here's what I've done. Uh, here's maybe even a link to my online portfolio, things like that. So don't take the job description as 100% you have to fit, you know, fit all the requirements. See what you can do to promote the aspects that appeal to you and that you think would be beneficial to the company. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for breaking that down a little bit more. And another thing that I was curious about is career building as a kakehashi jinzai. So it's not really the case anymore that people in Japan have a job for life, but there is still sort of the assumption that as long as a company will have you, you will stay with them. Whereas in the States, we're a little bit more comfortable hopping around every few years and you're actually encouraged to move around at least every five years at the minimum (laughs) to sort of build your career. And of course, that doesn't look very good to people from a culture that really values staying with a company, showing your loyalty, having them invest in you in return. So how should somebody who wants to work in the Japan space as a foreigner manage how they're viewed with that tricky balance? That is a fantastic question. I think I will answer in two ways. So first, I'm going to talk about like job seekers in general in both the, uh, Japan and the United States. Yes, they are a little bit different. And when I often speak to the Japanese the native Japanese people working at companies in the U.S., I often have a little segment in my presentation where I say that job hoppers, like you said, it's almost expected that you do change every three to five jobs. We do it for experience. But a lot of times um, I feel as if when I speak with job seekers, changing your job every few years is stressful and it can be uh, it, it can be something very unpleasant. And if you don't have to change your job, then you won't. And sometimes the job seeker is just looking for a home to stay at where they will be treated and respected for their skills. So when I talk with Japanese um, clients, I do say, you know, maybe they're just looking for a, a final home and maybe you can be that 
home for them if you wanted to have a great person who has the local, the, the knows the culture of the local area, plus has been in Japan. But also when I speak with the candidates who come to me with various, like they have, a, it looks like their resume has been job hopping every two or three years. I think it really depends on the person. It depends on their skill and the industry they want to go to. So if they're very, like for example, let's say sales. So sales roles are very difficult. And let's say um, they can be very brutal too, depending on the company that you're at, very stressful. It depends on you know your personality, how much le- Japanese language you need to know. But if you are hopping around, quote unquote, this job hopping word, every like one or two years, that might appear potentially to a Japanese person looking at that resume, like, oh, it's just one or two years. That might be a little bit too too much on the short side. If it's like every, you know, three to five years, I think that's a little bit better. But I would also explain how your skills were transferable. I would focus on how you still keep things confidential. You're not going to go from one company, share information with the next company. You're just bringing skills over, not the whole data itself. Because I think confidentiality of company information is also considered very important for Japanese companies. But then you can say, you know, here in America, this is what, like in your cover letter saying, you know, in America is very typical of us to do this. And I have brought a lot of experience by seeing how a Germany com- German company works, how an American company works, how a Swedish company works. And now I'm ready to help you, especially if you, this company that I'm applying for, if you have German clients and you have Swedish clients, I can help you with that. So kind of taking what you think would look like a negative and addressing it head on in the cover letter and explaining how it can actually work to be a benefit for both the applicant and the company. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, the advice nowadays is to actually move around every few years in the States, as stressful and difficult as that is. And a big motivation for that and what I read is just trying to address your salary, to actually increase your salary from position to position. And a struggle that people face in the Japan space, especially if they're looking at getting a job in Japan, is the fact that while the cost of living is lower in Japan, the salary is also generally not competitive. You can get by for sure and live very comfortably depending on your industry. But do you see that translate back to positions in the States, whether it's through Japanese subsidiaries or any other Japanese company? Great, great question. I am not a salary expert, so everything I say from now on is just going to be my observation. I do believe that compare, depending on the industry compared to maybe American counterparts, the Japanese company may definitely appear to have a lower salary. However, I really believe that... Um, as the applicant, you should dig a little deeper and find out what the benefits are. Because a lot of times the Japanese companies, they actually offer very good benefits and like surprisingly good benefits. Sometimes there have been companies that I've heard of that cover like all health insurance coverage. So I have heard of applicants who are just very um, eager to find a company that they wouldn't have to worry about their their health issues. And so they feel taken care of from that aspect. And that can be a huge cost that you don't actually consider when you think about the salary plus benefits. Um, I feel as if that that is something that if you are a job seeker, maybe if you see a number, don't get too discouraged if it seems drastically lower than a, uh, in a competitive company in the same area, but maybe dig dig deeper, try to find out what else is offered. And I often tell the uh, employers to please 
promote their benefits in the job descriptions, hardly ever will you see that. So I think it would be your responsibility as a job seeker to look into that. Sometimes you can be very surprised what you find. Yeah. And ironically, the healthcare benefit is a lot more valuable in the States than it is back in Japan. So definitely something to keep in mind. Absolutely. And also, you know, when you're looking, sometimes it matters, you know, how far you have to drive. And if it's hybrid, can you do some work from home? Is it flex hours? Asking those kinds of questions, finding out about the employer uh, 401k match, finding out about other, you know, insurance or supplementary insurance benefits. I think that is something, while most companies do have it, they might actually provide a slightly better kind of benefit in that department. Yeah. And there is a big difference in the end between a company that does a sizable retirement 401k match versus one that doesn't really offer one at all. And there's a lot of tax benefits involved. So it's really important to take a more holistic look at what a company is offering you for sure. And I will say one more thing. And this again is just my observation of a, of some of select industries. I believe that when I watch the news about the layoffs happening A lot of those layoffs are happening from companies that hire fast and fire fast, and they will also offer great packages sometimes so that it's very enticing for somebody to jump ship at one company and go to this company that's going to offer them the, the moon, right? And then they find out that they don't have a job a year later. I feel that that's a little bit riskier. And in my, my impression is that a lot of Japanese companies in the US tend to be a little bit less aggressive in that regard. So I almost want to say, and if, you know, it's hard to generalize, but I almost want to say that you can be a little bit safer at these companies and you won't get like these crazy layoffs. And it's just like very extreme ups and downs. I feel that Japanese companies want to hire and keep their employees for as long as they possibly can, even if there's all this job hopping in the United States. So they, I don't feel as if you have this like scary, like on edge oh my gosh, what's going to happen? All this is happening in the economy. My he- my, you know, my job is going to be let go. I'm going to be let go. So that kind of, I feel as if it's a little bit more conservative and tiny bit safer. Yeah, definitely. No matter what your opinions are about lifetime employment and whatever social implications there might be of that, it definitely does have its bright spots especially if you're somebody who does value a little bit more security over trying to optimize everything and jump at every single opportunity you get. You can be a little bit more comfortable overall if you're working with a little bit more conservative company, for sure. Yeah. And actually, when you mentioned that, I thought of one more thing. If you don't mind, I will add it. There's also a lot of companies out there that may not necessarily have a Japan connection, that they're not, um, they don't have headquarters in Japan. They don't have any subsidiaries, but they just have clients that deal with Japan. And They might be just a typical American company or any other global company in the United States. So those, I also encourage people to like dig deeper and find out what these companies are like, what do they offer? And also um, kind of going back to what you were mentioning earlier, we were talking about the whole fluency thing. These companies really may not know what it's like to be learning Japanese. So if you do find those companies to definitely promote, hey, by the way, Japanese is like this and I'm at this level and I really feel like I could provide good benefit to your company. So keeping also keeping those companies in mind that may have no Japan connection at all. Yeah, definitely. When you're looking at a bunch of company websites, you're trying to see if they have a Japan office or anything like that. It's good to know that it's not the end all be all. <laughs> there are other ways to incorporate Japanese. 
So then how important would you say the JLPT is for somebody hoping to work in this area? Because again, with asking for native Japanese speakers or fluent Japanese speakers, a lot of times they will substitute JLPT N1 in every listing. So what are your views about that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The same people who are writing the job description assume or have heard from someone that, oh, I need to have an N1 JLPT person working for this role. And there is also the misunderstanding because a lot of times they don't understand that the JLPT doesn't necessarily test your speaking. They don't realize that the JLPT is only taken once a year in the United States. And if you don't have access to a location close by, you have to travel. So there's not you know, there are always going to be recent grads or, you know, recent jet returnees who just don't have the funds to go travel to a different state, stay at a hotel and take this test this one time a year. So I often tell employers, hey, I understand the JLPT is important. And sometimes having this kind of standardized test to just know that this person took the time to study for and take this exam is great. But Let's not let it be the end all be all like this has to happen. If you don't have it, you can't apply. That's, I feel as if the companies are shooting themselves in the foot that way, if they do have that requirement, because they're missing out on such a great talent pool if they didn't have that as an absolute must. So I'm off, often sharing that message. I also meet a lot of amazingly, um, I'm going to say fluent, even though I don't like to use the word fluent, great people who have fantastic careers, whether as professional interpreters, professional translators, amazing kakehashi who have reached executive level ranks, and they've never taken the JLPT. They've just done it through experience and self-study, maybe a degree uh, a degree or a study abroad or some kind of program like JET or MEXT. So there's a lot of examples out there that prove that you don't necessarily need to have this JLPT. So I often promote the BJT, which is a business Japanese test, but nobody knows about it. So maybe I'll have to create like a mission, some kind of project to keep promoting it and ask the organizers of this test to like, you know, give give me some affiliate, affiliate funds or something. But I just, I really believe that the BJT, if you've taken it, is so much more relatable to any kind of business, regardless of industry. Then you, you know, you get tested on, you practice, how to start an email, how to conclude an email, how to practice on the phone. And maybe speaking isn't as practice, but the listening definitely is. So the content that you're studying for the BJT is so much more applicable than the JLPT. And I'm not at the highest point of my Japanese language skills right now. They kind of, it went down drastically after I left Japan. But if I were to have taken the JLPT at the height of my Japanese language skills or the BJT, I think I would have struggled with the JLPT N1 because it's just stuff that you have to study once and then you forget about it. These random kanji that like really have nothing to do with like the real world. <laughs> so I feel as if for standardized tests, okay, fine. We can have it as like a, a level to kind of gauge where a candidate is at, but it should not be the absolute requirement for employers. They're just losing out on a lot of good talent that way. Yeah. Why do you think people only know about the JLBT. Why do you think this other exam is just kind of flying under the radar? I don't know. It used to be, the BJT used to be sponsored by the Jetro, by Jetro. And so I took it when they were doing that. Now in the United States, it's offered in three locations and run by something called Pearson, Pearson View, some kind of testing center, which I haven't done. I haven't gone there, but they have, um, you can take the test anytime. You just have to drive to these locations. And I think it's in Chicago, New York, maybe on the West Coast, maybe somewhere in the South. I'm not sure. But 
it's not promoted. It's not really even the English page of the of the test isn't really like fully self explanatory. It's I feel as if it needs to. If it was being promoted better, it would be so much better for job seekers and employers alike. Yeah, and it just seems so much more accessible. Even though there are only a few locations, just being able to take it any time. And for anybody who has taken the JLPT, if you have any amount of test anxiety, taking the JLPT will definitely aggravate that because it's a big ordeal with a lot of process around it, a lot of people. So I really hope that this more accessible test, the BJT, can get a little bit more traction. I think it would be good for everyone. Are there as many resources available to study the BJT? No, not as much. I do. I remember buying a textbook that the Jetro um, distributed. But it was, I think you can still buy it online somewhere, but it's definitely not what the industry around JLPT is now. I feel, you know, I mean, you have to have some kind of testing. I get that. It's kind of like the SATs and the ACTs in the United States. It makes sense. And the JLPT just happened to explode. But, oh, man, for work, it's a different story. Maybe academics is a different. And maybe I don't have enough knowledge about the academic world to say, because maybe in that regard, the JLPT is like spot on amazing. But I think for the business world, you can find somebody who did pass N1 JLPT, but it's not applicable to work and they still struggle with that. Whereas you have somebody who has never taken the JLPT, like I just said earlier, and they could absolutely thrive in that environment. So how do you study for the BJT then? Do you just kind of have to figure things out as you go, try to gather more business centric information, or do you have any recommendations? If they still have some books that they offer, I'm sure it would be on their website. And I do have some links for that if you'd like, I can share. But I do believe that they also offer some tests, a practice test that you can take on the website, or maybe they just have like sample questions for the test. I think if you just find a, a basic business Japanese textbook and then learn what is in those basic ones, I think that would be very helpful. It's like, you know, how to interact in a meeting and, you know, and those kinds of phrases that you hear often, maybe even like, I remember these, like, you know, this is what happened in this meeting and then questions about what actually did happen if your understanding comprehension was fine. So the format itself is, I mean, I'm sure things have changed since I last took it, but the format itself is very similar to the JLPT, except the topics are business related and less cultural stuff, but more like actual industry related stuff. Yeah, that definitely sounds a lot more interesting and useful because the JLPT N2, at least in my experience, if you're just doing general studies and you're somebody who likes reading, you can definitely pass the N2 just with enough regular study. But from what I've heard, you really have to study two the N1. It's really hard to just learn it through general Japanese studies, through general Japanese skills. So it's nice that the BJT is really focused on skills and things that you learn throughout just working and living in Japan. Yeah. And if if I can uh, pull this plug out, if anybody and this listening to this podcast has any connection to the BJT powers that be, please let me know. I would love to collaborate with them and help promote this. I think it's so much more inclusive and helpful for companies and job seekers. Mm -hmm. It would just be good for everybody involved if there could be just a resource where people could continuously test, continuously improve their skills instead of having to just build up to one test that makes or break their career for the next year. So, Yeah. And even just taking the practice test, sometimes I find that just studying for the practice test and having like that kind of focus on that content is also very helpful. 
And if you are able to go to Japan, a good resource is just if you can go to a book off or any other used bookstore. They have big sections about Japanese business etiquette that are written for native people. But if you're at about an N2 level, it's definitely accessible to just go pick those up, bring those home and kind of learn all the keigo, learn all of the business manners, learn how meetings are supposed to go. So I will try to remember to drop a link, but there's actually a textbook. It's called a textbook that's geared towards first years, first year, like people entering their first jobs. So that could be a really good resource for people to try to keep an eye out for, I think. Absolutely. And there's a lot online too, except sometimes you can get bogged down by a lot of like really like deep conversations about things. So you may not need to get that much information. Like I know that when I look up a Japanese phrase that is used in the workplace, I'll find that then I just get into this huge rabbit hole of Japanese people saying, no, this is the right way. No, this is the right way. And I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> As a guy Kokushin, what should I know? And not get into like the two like nitty gritty details of it. But it's also fun if you do look up stuff on the internet, you'll find a lot of people writing things. Yeah, definitely. Though it is nice to have something that's like actually been published because of course everybody on the internet has their own opinions and they may never not be valid ones. <laughs> so, so great. So is there anything else you would like to touch on today about sort of building a career as somebody working in the Japan space? Oh, no, I think I definitely was able to share my, my thoughts about a lot of these topics that often come up, whether it's the fluency or the JLPT, or just, you know, like looking for roles that require Japanese language and our cultural skills. And I think a lot of what we talked about today could apply to different countries as well. I'm pretty sure this would apply in other countries in Europe, uh, Asia, maybe even Africa. I'm not sure. India as well, too. Like there's a lot of Japanese business there. So I feel as if it could apply to a lot of the of other cultures. But I really would like to help the job seekers out by giving them permission to kind of brag a little bit about their Japanese experience because you know, in such a big country like the United States, yes, we've got bilingual speakers everywhere, but it is still difficult to find people that can use their Japanese language skills in a career. So as long as they are a little bit, I don't want to, I don't want them to like zoom over to the whole ego boosting. I'm so amazingly fluent because that's not going to work as we know, but just to have a little bit more confidence in their language skills to promote their skills to companies that may not understand what that's like. And at the end, you know, like along with me helping share the message about, hey, I can still be a great person. I have the gumption to learn. I have the willingness to take on these tasks. Just like, let me enter your your company and let me show you what we can do and how I can help share and be that kakehashi bridge. So great. So other than that, demonstrating that you're willing to learn, that you're excited to immerse yourself in the company, are there any other qualities that you might think of as a little bit more Japan specific that you should present in yourself if you're trying to appeal to a Japanese company? That's a great question. It will depend on who's actually reading your resume in the beginning. It could be a local HR person. It not it may not be, but I do think that like the qualities of like like really soft skills, like knowing how to communicate with people or just even like kuki o yomu, reading the room, reading the air, that kind of skill is also very important. Like you're, it shows that you're a team player because you care about everybody else that you're kind of involved in as opposed to hitori de just by yourself doing something. I think when you enter a company, there has to be some kind of team spirit. I think that's very important to them. And actually, I think any kind of company, unless you're 
working for some kind of digital company that everybody's working remotely. That's a whole other kind of conversation we could be having. But I do believe that if you look at the job descriptions of something, and let's say you don't have a particular degree or you don't have a particular certificate in something, try and you know see what's out there that you could find online that could give you kind of like an intro, like here's a two-hour session that you found on YouTube or on an open school website that you can take and just learn a little bit about something that may be a part of the requirement and just just show that you are willing to learn new skills. And, and I, th- I think that would be very good. Yeah, there are all sorts of online resources available nowadays. If you have a local library that you have access to, a lot of them have digital resources now. So be sure to check out everything that's available to you just to develop those skills, especially if you're noticing skills in common like Excel and things like that. That's pretty easy to get at least a basic knowledge of on your own. So then just moving back to your own experiences, does anything come to mind surrounding any communication breakdowns that you think were due to differences in culture in Japan? Oh, I have so many, but I think one of them, and I can't remember if I mentioned this previously, but it was working at this Japanese company in Tokyo where it was my first job, my first Japanese job, first any job, right? And you're, I was working with people who spoke both languages. So for me, it was a great opportunity to use my Japanese when I felt confident and picking up the phone. And so I really wanted to and I had some great coworkers who were like, all right, the next time the phone rings, and so I'd be sitting there sweating, just worrying when the next time the phone would ring, I would pick it up and say, you know, and then just trying to figure out how to help them with that. And so there were a few times when I received a call from somebody who didn't know just from my phrase that I was a non-native Japanese person, but that's because I practiced it over and over and over with my friends. And they would bust out with something that I had no idea, no understanding. So at that moment in time, to sort of answer your question, I was faced with a local Japanese person who assumed I knew what they were talking about, and I couldn't share it without sounding rude because I was so like, I completely stopped and didn't know what to do. But fortunately, because it was like a global company and eventually I would meet these people, it was Fine. So that's just one example. But then another one that I kind of wanted to share was, and I think this is the one I did share, is having a meeting with some, with my employer and uh, a couple of bosses until like, you know, two, three in the morning because we were trying to figure something out. And I was like, we're tired. Let's go home. Let's please not do this. But we were working with the United States. So we needed to get them an answer. And it turns out I saw everybody kind of sit in there. It was like a game of chess where they were like, okay, if we say this, they're going to say this. And if we say that, they're going to say that. So we came up with all these like different ideas. And by the end of the night, after I took my taxi back home and was exhausted and and frustrated, came in the next day and discovered that our answer was like the perfect answer. And we saved like a week's worth of time because we, together, we kind of thought about it, not brainstorming, but just working through the process ourselves. And so that was a huge like enlightening, like, wow, there's a different way of doing things and it can be different from the way I'm used to it from my culture. And maybe I should just have an open mind and try to see how it could possibly be better and or work in a better in a particular circumstance. So those were two uh, embarrassing, but good experiences for me. Yeah. And ones that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to in their own experiences. 
So then if you were chatting with somebody who was going to Japan to work or for a business trip or anything like that, and you only had time to tell them about one thing about the culture or teach them, what would you go ahead and tell them about? I would say to be able to listen, to kind of observe and watch how people react. So you may not know what the perfect business culture is or culture in, if you're visiting somewhere. You may not know how to act at a temple or a shrine. You may not know how to act at a dinner or how to order food or how to go to a grocery store. You may not know any of that. And you could probably spend hours figuring it out on the internet. But even if you knew nothing and you just went there and you observed people and you listened and you just kind of like, again, not knowing the language at all, I think that would be a great way as opposed to coming in and expecting something to be done your way and then, you know, talking loudly in your language just to like, you know, because you're frustrated and you figure things out, just kind of calmly, quietly observe. And I think a lot of answers could be figured out by you just reading the room, reading the air. It's like my favorite phrase for the conversation today, but I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Experience is definitely the best teacher and you learn a lot more if you're actually paying attention. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for your time today, being willing to come back and also being willing to be a guinea pig way back when I started doing interviews. But is there anything that you wish that we had talked a little bit more about or anything you wish that I had asked you about today? Nope. I think we touched upon a lot of things, but I will end by saying like, I'm just so excited to see people like you. You know, we we're all trying to kind of experiment with ideas on the internet, whether it's newsletters or podcasts or, you know, YouTube videos or whatever. It's so inspiring to see how you have come from the very first when you were just teaching the Japanese phrases and talking about it to then having these interviews and talking with people. I think, I think it's a inspiration to others who have like a little dream that they maybe want to share something, whether it's art related or graphic design or whatever, a kimono, tea ceremony, something that they want to share with the world. And if they do it in such a way, they just have to start with one baby step at a time. Even if it's not going to be perfect along the way, 1% improvement all the time, I think will be great. So I'm really proud of you. And I'm so excited that you've gotten to this point. And I wish you so much luck going forward. Thank you so much. And yeah, I can't say it's not scary. I'm sure that you've experienced plenty <laughs> of fear starting your business too and trying different things, but it definitely pays off no matter yeah where you're hoping to go, even if it's just a learning experience, just go ahead and try it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> thanks again. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Kasha, her company, and job board. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are using, and also to leave a rating or review if you enjoy the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, there are a few things that you can do. You can support the podcast using the listener support button on Spotify for podcasters or contribute to my coffee page where I'm currently raising money for a new mic to hopefully improve the audio quality of future interviews. You can find the link to do so in the description of this episode. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you'll become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo.